This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. It was as if he kicked about three pounds of haggis that time because it hardly got off the ground. Yes, welcome to the first ever episode of the Pop Pass Podcast, where we'll be talking all things rugby from the international stage all the way down to grassroots. And we'll throw in a couple of stats that you can impress your friends with along the way. We're broadcast students and uh, we have just been told that next week we're doing a, a podcast week, learning all about uh, how to create your own podcast. So it, it, basically we might be 10 times better next week or we might be the same. Yeah, <laughs> if, if there's a substantial difference, you'll know why. So we, we're, we're going to go for it. We really hope you enjoy it. It's It's been a really interesting week in the rugby world the premiership is finally back on terrestrial tv hooray because freddie and i tried to stream some rugby the other day and uh, it was awful yeah we lost that we lost our bt sport membership we won't tell you how we got it in the first place but we lost our <laughs> bt sport membership um but we've we got it back briefly i think we, we're gonna have to relinquish that again but we were able to watch bath who won another game against none other uh, than the champions harlequins terrific match I mean, actually, it wasn't amazing. <laughs> it was good from a Bath perspective. Um, but yeah, Will Muir just showed once again, the man, the horse is is galloping. It's He's unbelievable. He is amazing. Unbelievable. I mean, we're unbeaten in 2022 now. What, what a year, hey? Look, a vintage if, year for Bath. If we carry on the, the way we're going now, look, we're winning, winning the European Champions Cup, winning the Premiership, winning 100%. All. Uh, and lastly, the Six Nations have done a sponsorship deal with TikTok which is news I'd, I'd never thought I'd, I'd read out. A really strange move, but interesting nonetheless. It's probably going to be a good move for the game in general because any injection of cash is obviously good for grassroots sport. But TikTok, of all places, I just never saw it coming. No, I mean, so from now on, the, the Women's Six Nations is going to be called the TikTok Six Nations. And I think, obviously, it's called the Guinness Six Nations at the moment. I think when that runs out, the men's will also be called the TikTok Six Nations. Don't quote me on that, but I think that's where it's going. And every team is getting given uh, a creator, a TikTok creator, to go with them. So Yeah, we're both slightly dubious about how that's going to work, to yeah. be honest. I'm nervous. I think it's fun. I mean, I actually don't I don't have TikTok. A lot of people think that's really important. I'm addicted, so... Yeah. <laughs> so so maybe that will force me to get it. You see, they're playing you there. Yeah, they've they got, are. They've got you in the palm of their hands. The, you, their, their plan's working already. <laughs> you didn't even know it. Exactly. Of course, you know, forget Christmas. Uh, February really is the most wonderful time of the year with the Six Nations returning. And most importantly, capacity crowds are back. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm really excited. You sound very excited, Freddie. I need to sound more excited. Yeah. Oh my God, I can't believe it. The, best, the next six weeks are going to be unbelievable. I mean, not like we don't already watch sport through Saturday yeah. and Sunday every weekend but now there's even more of an incentive to stay in <laughs> so good sorry no we'll obviously be social and go out to the pub to watch this yeah. we, we definitely won't just stay stay, definitely, stay definitely. You know, if anyone wants to invite us that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> currently we have no plans <laughs> no uh, but you're, you're right Look, the Autumn Internationals was sort of a taste of how good obviously having so many fixtures is and then we had a big gap. So, um, you know, autumn, now we're back into Six Nations. It's nice to be back into the swing of international rugby. Exactly. I totally agree. But anyway, let's get into what we're really here for, our big Six Nations preview. And who else to kick us off but the old enemy, Scotland. Scotland. <laughs> 
indeed Scotland. Now, I should probably disclose at the start of when I talk about Scotland that my mum is a massive Scotland fan. Nice that I've been able to talk about my mum less than five minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> but she is a massive Scotland fan, um, and that's caused a bit of a rivalry throughout my life. I, I, I don't want it to seem like I'm going with too much um, rose-tinted spectacles, but anyway... Finished fourth last year, which was perhaps a bit unlucky given the closeness of the defeats. Yeah, I agree. But ultimately, they finished ahead of England. That's all that matters, really, for that, Scotland. That's isn't all it? that matters for, <laughs> for Scotland. They had wins against England, which was obviously a famous win. Italy, no surprises there, and France, big, big win in big, Paris, big win. So, um, and actually, a quick little stat for you: before last year's competition, Scotland had gone ten years without a victory outside of Murrayfield in the Six Nations. Quick disclaimer. That is obviously other than the games against Italy. Yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, basically they hadn't beaten anyone but Italy outside of Murrayfield in the Six Nations. Um, and in fact, their win against England at Twickenham was their first for 38 years. So, you know, massive, massive performances from Scotland. And it, it kind of shows how successful that they were, that they had um, player of the tournament, which was Hamish Watson, and top try scorer, Duane van der Merwe. So lots of positives in last year's tournament yeah. for Scotland. And just quickly, Freddie, quick little question okay. for you. Other oh, really? than Hamish Watson, who has been the only other Scot to win the Guinness Six Nations Player of the Tournament? Bear in, bear in mind, this has only been an award since 2004. Oh, wow. Okay. So you won other Scot. Embarrass me here. I mean, the, the first name that popped into my head was Stuart Hogg. And that's correct. Brilliant. Oh, my God. <laughs> about to get embarrassed in the first episode of this you, podcast. You, you see, you looked nervous, but what, what I set you up there was hopefully for an easy answer, and you Thank proved you. it. Brilliant. Um, so, yeah. So, of course, you know, as I've said, lots of positives. But on the flip side, two losses in last year's tournaments, which, you know, isn't a bad thing, but still, obviously not a perfect run. But I, I think there were lots of positives to take away from those two losses. Um, the loss to Wales was only by points. And the loss to Ireland was only by three points. So overall, it was a fantastic championship for Scotland last year. And then looking ahead to this tournament, I am immensely excited by the squad that's been put out by Gregor Townsend. Um, Sterling's finest, Mr Finn Russell, will be a magician as always, I'm sure. He's got a new article in The Guardian, which I saw today, um, about him being going from his sort of origins in rugby, being, a, I think it was a, a stonemason or something before, before playing rugby. So yeah, give that a read if you want to. Um, Ali Price emerged to be Gatlin's first choice nine for the Lions series which was obviously interesting because Connor Murray was at one stage put as captain and yet Ali Price, you know, managed to overpower um, Connor Murray to take that jersey. Cameron Redpath is back, which is fantastic to see. Obviously, we know how, how much he can bring to the, the party with um, him, what he's been doing in a bar shirt. And then there's Chris Harris, Dewey Hogg, Big Doohan, Van, Van der Merwe. It is a stacked back line. And potentially one in, to watch in the pack is Bristol-born back rower Andy Christie, who will be joining the squad for the first time. Although I think I probably just cursed him and he won't play a minute now. Did, did you see he had a really cool Twitter thread that he put up where basically he FaceTimed all his family after getting selected? Yes, I, I was about to bring that up. Really? Yeah, he, It's very wholesome. If you haven't seen it, go yeah. and watch that. No, definitely. I, I, I really enjoyed that. Also, one big point about Scotland is that obviously last year they went to Twickenham 1, they went to Paris and 1, but there's a sort of big caveat there that no one was in the stadium at the time. And I wonder, and maybe this is misplaced, but I wonder whether now full stadiums are back, whether they'll be able to replicate those kind of away performances. True, true. But their opening game is at Murrayfield. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, I think if you can have that momentum from the start, you, I know you're, you're, what you're saying about sort of away 
fixtures, I think that sort of momentum with the Murrayfield crowd straight away will sort of inspire the rest of the, the championships. Yeah. That's what I think. But. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a huge clash against England on yeah. on Saturday, and I think whoever wins that really sets them up nicely for the tournament. So, so yeah, first game, England on Saturday, 4.45 at Murrayfield will be a tasty one, as always. And I'm going to make a prediction now for Scotland. Yeah. I am going to say they're going to come third wow, this okay. year, Freddie. I am predicting big things for them. Third place. I mean, look, I really like the Scots. I think they've got so much potential. I think there are a couple of teams that are definitely better than them, and we'll talk about them later on. And I think they're sort of on the precipice between third and fourth place. I'm going to put them in fourth. I think, I think that's a more realistic yeah. um, evaluation. As I said, maybe I'm looking at this with a bit more um, optimism than is yeah. perhaps worthy. But, you know, I, I am really excited, no matter what, for what Scotland will be producing at this championship. Next up, we're talking about the Irish. Now, personally for me, I think Ireland are in a really, really good place coming into this year's tournament you know they had a fabulous autumn they beat japan and argentina which i guess is you know is to be expected but they also beat the all blacks now the all blacks were coming off sort of a very long season they got beat by by france the week after in paris but i still think it's a massive scout for them and i think they're coming into this i personally think they're the favorites i think i know the french have been doing unbelievably well recently but i think ireland for me are the, are the favorites for the tournament i mean just talking about their club sides, Leinster have been doing tremendously well in, in in both their league form and in the Champions Cup. True, but aren't Edinburgh top of the URC or whatever we're going to yeah, call it right now? I know, but I think Leinster, I, I do think, are the favourites for the Champions Cup as well. I mean, yeah, you're right. There's not many sides that can basically put out an entire national team. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> when they played Bath a couple of weeks ago, it was pretty much Bath against Ireland. Like yeah, it wasn't. It was like something out of Rugby 08. Yes, yeah, it, it was a joke. But, you know, they've been doing incredibly well. And so have, so have teams like Munster and Ulster as well. And Connaught as well have been have been doing much better in the last year or so. So I think their club form, especially because they're so tight-knit, like a lot of their players play across only four teams, that when you go into a national side, their chemistry is so much greater than, than some of the other teams, especially England when you've got so many teams across the Premiership. So I think they're looking really, really strong. They're also really settled as well and healthy. I mean, only sort of Jacob Stockdale and I think James Lowe are out at the moment, which is compared to some other injury lists in, in other squads is 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 massive. I mean, James Lowe will be a big blow though because he was really good in the New Zealand game. I mean, obviously that is a little bit biased because he he was going to be playing as well as he could in that game. Yeah, but still. exactly. Being a sort of an ex Kiwi, um, but you're, you're right. He, he's a loss. But I think when you look at it, if you if you were to lose any first team player, you probably lose a winger. Um, I think that you know you don't want to be losing that that spine of the team. You don't want to be losing any of your any of your locks, your eight, your nine, your ten, <coughs> England, England, <laughs> um, before the tournament. So you know they're really healthy. You've also got players coming in, um, exciting Ulster fullback Michael Lowry, who hopefully will get a chance during the tournament, and of course the likes of sort of Caelan Doris, who's really impressed uh, in his time in an Ireland shirt. You've got Johnny Sexton as well. I mean, he's coming to the end of his career, but he almost seems evergreen at this point. Like, I don't think anyone should be writing him off. I think he's got this tournament, next year's, and and, and then the World Cup. There's sort of his swan song um, for Ireland. And I really think he can drive them towards this year's championship. They've got three home fixtures. So arguably they're 
hardest games are actually away in Paris and at Twickenham. But three home fixtures is always nice if you're wanting to go for the title. I think those games, yeah, as I said, those games against France and England will be sort of the litmus test to see how far Andy Farrell has has taken this side. But I do I do think that they're big they're big favourites for me anyway. Big favourites. My only concern is that if they do really well here, they might do the classic Irish thing of peaking too early before the World Cup. Well, yeah, because I remember thinking back to the build-up for the World Cup in Japan, and I said Ireland were going to win it, and I got proved famously wrong by that You said prediction. they're going to win the World Cup? I thought they were going to win the World Cup. Wow, I thought yeah. they were amazing, so I think that might reflect in terms of... <laughs> I don't want to get burned again. Yeah, yeah, no, fair <laughs> so enough. So I've put Ireland lower down because of that, I think. Okay, so where, where, where have you put Ireland? Well... I now you you gave them such a good review yeah. there. I now feel I feel feel like I've put the, maybe maybe I should have swapped Scotland and Ireland around, and I've gone for them going fourth. Okay, and that's that's purely because I mean I'm just so excited by France and Scotland in particular. Mm-hmm. I think both of those squads are bringing a really good style of rugby, and perhaps with with Ireland, I'm less convinced by the changes that they've made. And yeah, I think I think they should they should be a force to be reckoned with still, obviously. Yeah, I mean, also, when you're looking at a Six Nations table, from first to fourth, really, you could be talking, you know, points difference or, or you know, a couple of bonus points here or there. Like, genuinely, a lot of these teams can go sort of three wins, two losses, you know, two wins, three losses. Like, it's it's so tight this year's tournament in particular. I mean, ever since we've had Scotland sort of resurgence, we've been saying it. Um, Italy, of course, have always been like the whipping boys and we'll talk about them a bit later. But I do think it's going to be really, really tight, and I'd be very surprised that I mean, although I've picked Ireland to come first this year, I'd be very surprised if it's a slam. I think they will lose at least one one game, right? But I think it'll be really, really tight across the board. So I think the the difference between fourth and first, especially, I think will be will be tight. Mm. So moving on to Wales, I mean, again, we started off with the old enemy of Scotland, I think for us, obviously, by the sounds of our voices, English fans. Um, This is yet another enemy. Obviously entered the tournament as defending champions. Four wins last year and just the one loss in their game against France. Um, Wales scored 20 tries in the last championship, which was their highest try tally in a single Six Nations tournament which I thought was interesting. That's pretty impressive. Although a lot of it was against uh, 14 men, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't go into the, the red card incidents. Um, and of course, Lewis Rees-Amitz announced himself on the world stage really with four tries in the tournament. Absolutely amazing player. That recent try he scored for Gloucester, which you told me to watch and I have watched, was insane. So, you know, really exciting he, things he from him. He just looks like he's jogging, even when he's top speed. It's ridiculous. It's an absolute joke. And also, he's sort of, brought in his chip and chase game as sort of a real um hallmark of, of what he's doing but then now what i saw with the gloucester try is he goes he kind of dummies it so the defenses are, are knowing he will like to chip and chase and now he can just you know pile that off i was kind of surprised that they won last year don't know about you maybe because they didn't go into the tournament with the best side in terms of like you know star names but that might be because i didn't know exactly like lewis re and then yeah. he really proved himself i think also they're in the post-Gatland era, and I think I especially probably underestimated Wayne Pivak. They didn't start very well under him, and that's why I genuinely thought they weren't going to do very well. But they, they surprised everyone. and you, you, it's, it's a weird thing with Welsh rugby at the moment is that their, their regional sides aren't doing amazingly, but when they come together for the national team, they seem to produce something special every time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and 
what I found interesting was when I was on the Guinness Six Nations stats page, which, of course, everyone is on all the time, <laughs> the leading statistics by individuals, there, there are a few metrics on there. There was total points by single player, tries, try assists, conversions and penalties, carries, meters made, line outs. I could go on. Welsh players don't feature as number one in any of those categories I just picked out. But if you look at the total successful tackles, three of the top five best players for total successful tackles were all Welshmen. That was Tipperick, Faletau and Alan Wynne-Jones. So I think that really shows sort of the heart, the hallmark of, of that team was their defensive strength yeah. tackling. Now, that's where it comes on to this tournament. Alan Wynne-Jones is injured. Ken Owens is injured. Tipperick's injured. Faletau's injured. I can't say the word injured. Don't worry, saying it a lot. Navidi. Dan Lydiot, North Lee Halfpenny. So that's 700 international caps are all it's not available ridiculous. through injury. So because of that, maybe we should be discounting Wales. And I, th- I think I-, I went onto the BBC Sport um, website today and they have, they have a little metric on there for, well, a survey for people to vote on. And the question was, how are you feeling about Wales's chance in the 2022 Six Nations? Now, only 359 people have voted on that. <laughs> That's the whole population of Wales, isn't it? So. Um, but the, the, I, I voted, it, it, was sort of, it went from minus three to three. I voted on minus one, which said that they will lose more, more than they will win. And that was the highest scoring one. So basically what I'm trying to say is, without actually being able to put a picture on the screen, mm-hmm. is that from that, maybe other people are sharing the same sentiment, that there's a lack of confidence in this, in this Welsh side. And I'm sure I will be proved wrong on that. Um, but, you know, it was a mixed bag in the autumn. It was They got pumped by New Zealand, but that was obviously outside the international window. So how can we kind of yeah. compare that? Um, narrowly lost to South Africa. And then they beat Fiji, but... What a get! I mean, what a game that was. They, they almost, they, they almost, almost lost. Yeah, it. squeaky bum time at times. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Overall, I just, I just think I really don't know what to expect from them. Um, and you know, they, they've got an abundance of ten options. Reese Priestland should still be in, in with a shouts, even though obviously he's probably third choice. Yeah. Um, Ross Moriarty is back, um, having injured his shoulder in the New Zealand game in the autumn. As I said, mixed bag for what I'm thinking for how they will do in the championship. Um, obviously, their first game is against Ireland, 2-15 away at the Aviva Stadium. Um, and they won that match last year, 21-16. But that was at the Millennium Stadium. Yeah. Although, no crowds. Um, was there a crowd for that one? I can't remember. I'm I not sure. I can't remember anyway. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I think Ireland will probably win that opening game, seeing as it's in the Aviva Stadium. And I've gone for them to come fifth. Fifth. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. And also, I don't want to seem that we're underestimating Wales. I think I think if they had that their full contingent of players healthy and fit, I think it's a different story and it'd be really difficult to put them as low down as fifth. And you never want to, you know, underestimate them because they have the Principality Stadium, which I think is the sort of the hardest stadium to go to out of all all the other Six Nations stadiums. So they've they've got that sort of trump card there. But I just think this year it's gonna be so tight and when they've got so much experience out of the team, it's gonna be difficult for them to beat the top sides. So, you know, they could prove us wrong. They they usually do. Yeah. But I just think I can't justify putting them any higher than fifth at the moment. But I'm sure a lot of people will disagree. <laughs> now let's move on to Italy, 
who, well, we, we could glaze over Italy and talk about how they're favourites for the wooden spoon again and there needs to be a relegation playoff, which, saying that, I do think there needs to be. I, I could get behind that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I do think we're also in agreement they're going to finish sixth as well. Again, yeah, yeah, no shocks there. You know, it, but it's not all doom and gloom for the Italians. It really, really isn't. And I don't want to sit here and talk about how they're going to get pumped by every team, which it could happen once or twice. But I also really highly recommend checking out uh, Squid Rugby's deep dive on them because I had no idea that below first team level, they've been doing really, really well. So I want to talk a little bit about how maybe, you know, that their first team will come sixth again unless there's a big shock. But below that, they've been doing incredibly well, right? Here's one for you, Charlie. Their under-20 side registered a positive points difference for the first time ever in last year's under-20s championship. Wow. Which is a huge step in the right direction. I know it doesn't seem much, but it, it also means that that must mean they're winning games. Obvious, but I know they must have been winning games. Then you go further down the age groups to the under-18s and the picture gets even more positive. Last year, they played all five other nations and beat them all, bar France. And and those sort of youth levels are really important. Um, if you transfer that to football, when St George's Park was going to be opened um, by the FA, they basically set up a strategy and they were like, right, how are we going to improve football in this country? And one of the key target areas was if you win at under 20 level down, it comes through later later on. So that's why we're seeing the likes of Phil Foden, you know, Bakayo Saka, Dominic Solanke, all of those players have been involved in winning squads and then it translates later. So the same theory happens with France. France have obviously done really well at under-20 level. And so, you know, hopefully they should be picking up that, that momentum at the right time when it's the World Cup. Also, so, I mean, especially for Italy as well. You know, if you're part of Italian teams down the age groups that are used to winning as opposed to being used to getting pumped every week, then... You know, you get into the first team, you don't have that sort of that same mindset. You have a mindset of of belief that you can go and win these games against these sort of top tier nations. You're going back to the going back to the first team, it's made up of a number of players who've actually come through those age grade teams and who've done really well. I mean, particularly their flanker and their captain Michele Lamoureux and fly half Paolo Garbisi. Excellent Italian. Oh, thank you so much. I've been practicing that for the last last half hour. Um but, but they're, they're brilliant players who wouldn't look out of place in any other team in the tournament. And they're, they're certainly players to keep an eye on uh, during the tournament itself. That also goes for, for anyone who is considering playing fantasy rugby this tournament, which Charlie and I both are. There's, you know, everyone wants to pick, you know, the French players, the English players. But you know what? The Italian players usually come with a come with a lower price tag and if ever there's a differential Paolo Garbisi is that I mean you're right but what you're really saying is these players are the ones that you want to be sticking on the bench well, you, you want to be sticking on the bench just in case just in case so you want to find the best Italian talents to stick on that bench yeah but you know there's plenty to choose from more and more each year and I, I, I'm you know they, as, we've, as we said they're going to finish sixth but I just think in a couple of years time they will run teams close and they will start to pick up maybe one or two wins. And, you know, in 10 years' time, they could be a completely different force, especially if that age-grade form translates to the first team. I, I really hope so, because I I think um, a, a playoff could be a really good idea. But let's say Georgia wins that, and I, th- I think that brings a different, a really different style of rugby 
to the Six Nations, you know, big packs. Well, that's what Georgia are famous for. What I really like about Italy is we still have that sort of creative style of rugby. They want to pass the ball about like their Fijians or the Barbarians sometimes. And I think they're a good addition to keep in the championship. So I don't want to see them go anytime soon. No, I, don't. I also think that if there was a playoff at the end of this championship, I, I still think the Italians beat the Georgians most times. But as I said, they're probably going to finish sixth. But I wanted to put a bit more of a positive spin on Italy for this year's tournament. So France came second last year, beating Ireland, Italy and Wales, losing to England by three points and Scotland by four points. Um, DuPont was obviously magic last year, scoring three tries across the championship and topped the try-assist tally with five tri-assists. Now, I don't think that's a metric that's particularly um, useful for anyone other than those who are playing fantasy rugby, but that would get you points in fantasy rugby. It would. So surprise, surprise, DuPont might be a good idea for your fantasy team. I think he was selected by everyone in our league last year yeah so um i mean he he is the messy of rugby for me yeah we can we can do as many superlatives for him as possible but he is amazing i, th- I think france would have been depo- disappointed disappointed depo- disappointed <laughs> <laughs> unintentional pun i think france would have been disappointed with their performance last year personally um but i think this will be a different championships for them with untermac playing a lot more because last year jalibert played almost all of the games well started almost all of the games and Untermac was sort of second string and yes it was a bit more of a substitute Jalibert is back he's recovered from injury so once again I could be cursing Untermac just by referencing him so we'll we'll see what happens with that sort of 10 combo um whether you know the French have been playing their their players in lots of different positions so we'll see with that um but obviously Untermac gave us the best rugby moments of the entire year last year with his amazing little no look pass in the New Zealand game I've watched that about a hundred times I could watch it a hundred times more (laughs) um and obviously they had a good internationals awesome internationals beating Argentina and Georgia although I'm not sure how competitive those games can really be if we're gonna gonna put those and obviously as we said the New Zealand game one of the best games of rugby I have seen in a long long time and you know if they play like that in every single game I'm sure they will be a force to be reckoned with but I think we've got to put a lot of caveats with that performance the New Zealand side that was there, as you were saying, were playing with low confidence, really. They they weren't playing their best throughout the whole of the Autumn Internationals. They hadn't played a particularly well in whatever we're going to call the the Four Nations for, for that Super Rugby. I can't even remember the name Neither of it now. I. That that game was amazing, but were we seeing a New Zealand side that weren't quite at their best? I don't know. Still, one of the best performances I've seen, and it was a really good style of rugby, and I hope that they play with that sort of style in the Six Nations this year. So, yeah... <laughs> I kind of feel like that match has made me feel like France are going to be a force to be reckoned with. But I think it's more than just that. I mean, their pack has got some amazing players. There was that Loughborough player that you showed me. Oh, what's um, his name? He played like fly half in the Loughborough fifth, fifth team or something when he when he started. And then, what, three years later or something, he's, playing, he's starting for France. It's ridiculous. We'll, I need to find his name. Maybe we'll put it in. That, yeah, yeah, we'll need to name check that. But yeah, he, he is a force to be reckoned with. Um, and... Yeah, they've got they've got great members of the pack. Um, Gregory Aldrich should be there, and then obviously the backline is absolutely sans- sensational. Yeah, you got his name, Thibaut Flamand. 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 <laughs> I mean, once again, I feel like I'm, I might be giving him a commentator's curse, and he might not play. But if he does play, he's one to watch out. And the commentators will say that about him, the Loughborough stat, I'm sure, about a thousand times because yeah. it is amazing. So yeah, is it another case of me just thinking that because 
they produced amazing performances in the Autumn Internationals that I think they're going to win. I don't think it's just that. I think it's the style of rugby that they've been producing that is the really impressive thing about them. And I don't know whether every single team in the championships can play, can beat them when France are playing at their best. Yeah, I think naturally they are the favourites. I know I've gone for Ireland. The only th- reason I don't think the French will do it is I just think they've got... Have they got five games of top performances in them? Or have they only got four? And are, is one of those games going to be their downfall? Are they going to lose to an England? Or are they going to lose, you know, like, are they going to get a red card against Wales and lose? You know, I just don't know whether they'll be able to replicate that level of performance that we saw against New Zealand over an entire tournament. Maybe I'm saying it just to be different, but I just think they'll be pit by Ireland. I think they'll just come second this year. I think also there's an element that they don't need to put in their best performance because Eddie Jones talks a lot about, and you've already said it as well, peaking at the right times. Winning the Six Nations now isn't peaking at the right time. So there is an element that they might start to play a little bit more with sort of combinations. Yes, Shally Bear might be back in and Untermack is playing a little bit less or maybe playing in different positions. So yeah, they're... This Six Nations is not where they're going to want to peak. So I'm not quite sure what France will see. But if it's the France that can beat New Zealand by such a clear margin, then it will be a very exciting tournament for France, I'm sure. Okay, and finally, we're moving on to England. Of course, last but not least. And I think they are, in a way, the most difficult team to predict this year. And that's not only the difficulty in trying to predict what lineup Eddie Jones is going to go for, but also it's a team that could easily finish top as it could easily finish probably about fourth. They're kind of an unknown quantity at the moment. It's really difficult to ascertain how well they're going to do because, of course, they had a fabulous autumn. They beat Australia, they beat Tonga, and, of course, they beat South Africa. They kind of came back from the dead in that game. They were getting pummeled at the scrum it looked like there was no way back and then Rafi Quirk goes and scores under the posts. A ridiculous try. It's a really difficult team to sort of pick apart. I mean, the biggest question marks, I think, come at 12 at the moment. You know, Owen Farrell was in and then he got injured again, so it's out. George Ford's back in, but I don't think he's going to usurp Marcus Smith at 10 and he's not 12. So who's going to play in that shirt? In that squad, they've only really got one natural 12, which is Atkinson. And he kind of is in the mould of an Andre Esterhazen, which, of course, Marcus Smith plays with a lot at Quinns and has an unbelievable chemistry with. So maybe Eddie Jones goes with that. But, of course, Atkinson, I think, only has one cap. So are you going to put him in the cauldron that is Murrayfield? You then look at sort of the, the back three. Freddie Stewart, we all know how good he is. But I think all of his, uh, all of his caps have been at Twickenham. He hasn't had to experience an away game yet. So, again, is he going to be able to handle Murrayfield and the other stadiums they're going to have to travel to during the tournament? I think he will, but, of course, it's a question mark, isn't it? Yeah. It's not a certainty. You know, you have certainties in Stuart Hogg. You have certainties in Dan Bigger for Wales. You know, you kind of want those people. I mean, you had them. You had it with Owen Farrell, really. As much as some people would like to see him not in the team at all, you do have a certainty with him that you know he'll be able to put in a 6 or 7 out of 10, probably. I think you're right with Freddie, Freddie Stewart that um, obviously all those games were at Twickenham. But ultimately, I don't think that was really his home yet because he was still playing for sort of the first few times for England. 
So in, in front of that sort of level of crowd. So whether, he probably wasn't even that settled for that game and he looked like he, would, he had been playing in that England side for 10 years. So I, I, I still think he, has, he should be able to prove that he can, he can play just as well in an away fixture personally. Yeah, I mean, I really hope so. I think, I think it's a huge, huge game on the weekend. It will really set the tone for the rest of the tournament. But of course, he is, he's definitely going to start. At 12 and 13, I don't know what Eddie Jones is going to go for. It's really difficult to work work out and he, he hasn't even Manu's still out isn't yeah, he Manu's, so England have always had a problem at 12 really when when you've not got Owen Farrell and you've not got Manu Tulangi you've neither got that sort of ball carrier that can that, you can, that can take the short ball or you, you haven't also got the playmaker like Owen Farrell so you haven't got either of those options as I said Atkinson kind of works like that that Manu Tulangi option but I'm not sure Eddie Jones will go for him I think he'll go for a Smith, Slade, and someone else. Tom Carey. <laughs> Maybe, you know, I, I have down here actually. I have that the Eddie Jones will put Sam Simmons at twelve, and I know that's that's a complete fantasy, and it will definitely not happen. But he very much reminds me of a sort of Sam Burgess type of player that that is is a back rower. But you know, you could stick him in at twelve. He'll play the Eddie Jones wheel of fortune with yeah. um, players a position he doesn't know quite who's going to go there. Put them all on a on a list, spin the wheel. And it is oh, it's Luke Cowan Dickey oh, at twelve. <laughs> Which you know what might not necessarily be a bad thing, um, <laughs> especially for fantasy. Fantasy exactly. rugby that would be amazing. So many points, but yeah, it's it's really hard to predict, and that's why I think I'm struggling to you know talk England up as as a favourite for the competition. I mean, they beat the world champions a few months ago, so we shouldn't talk them down. I think it's just trying to work out you know that back line is going to be quite inexperienced especially in relation to maybe the Scot- Scottish back line that they're going to play on the weekend how are they going to perform I think they'll do well I just I'm tentative as an Englishman to say they're going to come first I'm going to sit on the fence really I'm going to say they're going to come third this oh, year boring which is boring I know but I just I, you know it, it gives me a lot of leeway to to say that I didn't necessarily say they were going to do really well I didn't think they were going to do really badly it's a really hard uh, team to predict of course I'd love to say they'll finish first I just think Ireland and France have a bit more experience at the moment and they're, they're in a better moment as well I think England want to peak for 2023 which I think they have the potential to do with so many new players coming into the squad So there we have it. That is our review of what should be coming up in the Six Nations this year, 2022. So just a reminder, the matches this weekend are Ireland-Wales at 2.15, Scotland-England at 4.45, both of those games on Saturday. And then on Sunday, one for your fancy teams, France-Italy at 3 o'clock. So yeah, really looking forward to the championships this year. Exactly. Just to recap our predictions so you can hold us to them. I'm going for Ireland in first, France in second, England in third, Scotland fourth, Wales fifth and Italy sixth. And I am going for France first, England second, Scotland third, Ireland fourth, Wales fifth, Italy sixth. So yeah, thanks for listening. Thank you for coming this far. Um, Really appreciate it. So what we're hoping for in the future for this podcast, just a little roadmap of what we're planning, is that we're hoping to bring in issues from rugby that maybe aren't being talked about, maybe aren't being written, or what you're watching on YouTube, wherever you'd be getting your rugby content. So we're hopefully going to pick up on issues like LGBTQ plus rugby. So there's a team here called the Sheffield Vulcans here in Sheffield. 
um, who are an all-inclusive rugby club. So they actually have a different league, different category of rugby. And so we'd like to talk to them. Women's rugby, we're wanting to cover issues that maybe you as a rugby fan aren't listening to at the moment. Exactly. I mean, today we talked all about Six Nations, which of course is a big international tournament. But we want to go down to the grassroots level as well. So we want to, you know, cover as many bases as we can. We want to do something a little bit different. But we really hope you enjoyed listening to today's episode, if you've got all the way to the end, that is. Uh, (laughs) Thank you so much. And we'll be here next week reviewing all the games from the weekend. So we hope to see you there. This is the Pop Pass Podcast with me, Freddie. And me, Charlie. Thanks so much for listening. 